All right, grab a Bible and turn to Ephesians, which is what we've been kind of working our way through. Tenth um, book of the New Testament. So if I can find it, I keep saying that, and then I can't get my Bible to it. Too. Here we go, Ephesians. So if you're looking at a Bible, it's in the very back if you need it. Uh, it is... Um, a little book, and we're just slowly working our way through, which will take a little while because though it's a little book, it's loaded with stuff. So true Christianity, that's kind of the theme that we've been walking through, the study we've been going through, and uh, um, asking the question, what does it truly mean to be a Christian? And I mentioned when we got started Christianity, the word Christian has always been a kind of a negative word to me because it's so confused in terms of what it really means. So we've been kind of walking through that because, as I mentioned, I'm redeeming the word for myself. But uh, we talked a couple of weeks ago about unconditional adoption, what it means to be adopted unconditionally. And then we talked uh, kind of last week about what eternal security looks like, that, that we, are, we, we have been secured and it be- security belongs to us and we haven't lost it. And we're going to build on that a little bit more with this week, which is sealed by sovereignty. So, and I'll unpack what I mean by that here in a second, but sealed by sovereignty. So, I was watching a, a show the other day, and these women were having this argument on the show about who the strongest Avenger was. So, kids know who that is. Some of you younger people might too. But the argument was it came down to it's either Thor or it's Hulk. It's one of the two of them. And they had an ongoing argument for him. What made it funny in the show was that it was these women having the argument, not their nerdy boyfriends who love all these guys. So, but, but as the show's going on and as the argument is proceeding, uh, the argument for Thor was only Thor can lift his hammer. Nobody else can pick that hammer up except him. He's the only one strong enough. Even Hulk can't pick up Thor's hammer. And then one of the girls said, one of the other girls said, yeah, but what if Hulk picked up Thor while he was holding his hammer, you know? And it kind of progressed into a bit of silliness. But um, if you know the story of Thor's hammer, uh, obviously it's not a true story. It's a comic. But if you know the story of Thor's hammer, his father, Odin, put a seal on this hammer that only Thor could lift it. And Thor, a worthy person as Thor, was the only one who was able to lift that hammer with his father's seal on it. And if you've seen the movie Avengers or you've seen like the movie Thor or something, they you can see these silly moments where people are trying everything they can to lift the hammer and they can't make it budge. And then Thor walks up and picks it up like it's made of cardboard, you know, and flips it in the air because for him it's it's nothing. Um now, if you're a really devoted fan, you'll know there's some exceptions and stuff. But for the most part, to borrow this for an illustration, uh, that's kind of the idea of what we're looking at today. And I, I'm not going to use a Norse god <laughs> to make an illustration of who we are necessarily, but just to borrow it generally to think about. The idea is that we're the hammer. God the Father has put his seal on us, and only Christ can pick us up. Um, that's kind of the idea. His seal is the Holy Spirit. We are sealed with his Holy Spirit, and only Christ can pick us up. So, here's your one sentence as we go through. We'll go quick, but here's your one sentence. Christians should praise God and press on. You know what I mean by press on? Like, if it's a fight, keep fighting. If it's a walk, keep walking. 
If it's a joy, stay joyful. Whatever it is, just continue to press on and praise God, knowing that he has sealed us with his Holy Spirit and secured our future according to his sovereignty. All right? That's not scripture. That's just Dave's road sign. So you can think where we're going through scripture. So go to Ephesians 1. You're going to go to verse 11. And Molly read uh, the back half of this, but we're going to start with the two verses before it and pull them together. So in verse 11, uh, it says, in him, in Christ, he's been building on this same conversation, this same thing uh, all the way through here. In verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. You see those first words, have obtained. It's something that occurred in the past. And it has present ongoing implications. We have past obtained something that we hold. It's just like we talked about last week and the week before. It's all already done. We don't hope for redemption. We have redemption. We don't hope for forgiveness. We have forgiveness. You see, it's past tense. Look at the EDs. Obtained. Predestined. Having been. It's it's done. Again, he says, we who were the first to hope in Jesus there in verse 12. There's a we in verse 11 or 12 there. There's a you in verse 13 and there's an hour in verse 14. We, you, our. So I've laid into this for a while. I'm like, who's the we, who's the you, and who's the hour? The you could be uh, fairly easy to determine. If it said I, then it'd be easy. We could say I is Paul. You is the church he's writing to or whatever but he says we which is a bit strange so as i'm digging into it people say things different some say the we is jews the you also are gentiles because paul would have been a jew and jesus was a jew and then the church in ephesus would have been a gentile church gentiles anybody who's not a jew Okay, so some say it's that some say it's apostles because Paul says, I, Paul, an apostle in verse one. So some say it's the apostles because they were the first to believe in Christ specifically. And then the church at Ephesus is the you. Regardless of which ones of these you want to think about, there's an hour. So the point is. He's bringing together that this truth is applicable to all of us. But the reason I think that he's saying we, you also, an hour is because he's trying to tell you God had a plan. This didn't just stumble into reality. There's a plan. There's been a strategy. If you're a believer today, it's because it was God's will. It was a plan he predetermined. And rather than abandon sinners, he would save them. That's the plan. Rather than say, okay, Adam, you screwed it up, done here. He set forth a plan to save from Adam to Christ. Think about this. From Adam to Christ, it was all in one geographical region. From Adam to Jesus, everything was in one geographical region. 
from Egypt up through the uh, land of Israel, what we might call the Middle East in a broad sense. From Adam all the way to Christ is in that region. And it was one bloodline. From Adam all the way to Jesus, one bloodline. You want to know what that bloodline is? Go read Luke. Go read Matthew. They're in, they're in both. It was one bloodline all the way through. From Christ, though, it went to his apostles. And from his apostles, it went to every continent on earth. And it went from being a single bloodline to generations and generations of all people. Paul says, we, to you also, and we could say, to us also. We, we could say that. Because we could trace, get this, if you're a Christian in the room, and you could do it, it would be, you know, big job, possible job, really, I would, I would argue. But you could, and maybe when you get to heaven, if you want to do it for fun, you can go back and do it. I don't know. But you could trace your lineage, Christian lineage now, not your bloodline, your faith, whoever shared the gospel with you, at what point you put your faith in Christ, from that moment forward, backwards, you could trace it all the way back to a single disciple. I don't know which one, but, you know, I don't know which one for me, but you could trace it back to one single apostle, one of those 12 somewhere it would go back to. And then from that to Christ. And all of them were children, descendants of Jacob, whose name was changed to what? Israel. So they were part of the nation of Israel, but they were also descendants of Jacob, which made them descendants of Abraham. Do you see the point here? There is a strategy and a plan that God set in place. How can we be sure? How can we be sure things are going to, you know, hey, look, man, God just some some. People teach this. God just set everything in motion. Yeah, sure, there's a God. Sure, he created everything. He spun the world and he took off. He doesn't really care. He's not really involved. Why would he care about us? Yeah, we were created, but he's not involved in it. How can we count on anything besides things just working out? I'm just, I have a positive feeling that things are just going to work out. Well, what if they don't? Well, you know, I, I don't know. How do we know God didn't just choose to reject everything or, or, or lay out options for us. You can, yeah, y'all can believe or not. You can embrace this or you can reject it. You can choose to do this or you can abandon that. None of it really matters. It's, it's, it's all your place. It's your world. It's your thing. You do your stuff. How, how can we count on anything? Even if you leave out that word back there in verse 11, that word predestined that everybody gets so twisted about, even if you left that word out, the rest of that sentence is probably the most sovereign statement in the Bible. Look what it says. According to the purpose of him, God, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Just think about that line for a minute. According to the counsel of his will is a strange statement, but it's not really. In English, it would be like saying he's following his conviction. Or here's the passion of his heart, so he's doing it. Here's what gets him excited, so he's doing it. Redeeming us gets him excited. It's the passion of his heart. 
So he's doing it. He didn't just listen to me now. He didn't just blow the whistle, you know, start the game, and then to go sit down. He didn't just clap his hands and say, okay, life begins, and then head off to some other universe to do something else. How do I know? Because notice what it says. He is working. Working what? What does it say in the verse? Working what? All things. Give you some similar verses. You don't have to turn to these, uh, but you'll see in Philippians 2.13. It's God who works in you both to will and work for his good pleasure. If you're a believer in the room, God is working in you for his own will and good pleasure. Romans 8.28. Everybody knows this one, uh, but they fail to continue reading what it says. So we're going to read more than just the one verse. And we know that for those who love God, those who love God, All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Do you see the his purpose, his will, his plan in that? Verse 29, if you don't, we'll go on and I will show it to you. Because or for those he foreknew or foreloved, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn, Christ might be the firstborn among many brothers In the faith here, verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. The problem we have is we want to dig way too deep into this because we're not comfortable with what it's saying. But if you just read what it's saying, it's amazing. She had a plan in love. Set forth to make you his own. And he acted in every way. He called. He justified. He glorified. Because he predetermined to do so. And if you're, listen, if you're really struggling with the implications of the word predestined, I know we all do. I know that in churches, especially where I come from, everybody squirms the minute they hear the word. Uh, but it's in the Bible. I'm, I'm just reading the Bible. I'm not just choosing the word. It's right there. But if it really bugs you, before you try to rationalize it, or make it into something that's more palatable, palatable. Just, just consider for a minute accepting exactly what it says. Just consider that. Just maybe accept what it means. Find a way to embrace it the way God intended it to be heard through Paul. And then remember that it's less about forced decisions or about picking and choosing and abandoning that one and over here on this one and all the crazy things or that, that we make it mean, and just think about adoption. Nobody wrestles with that, but that's exactly what it means. And if you want to know more about that, go back two weeks and watch the video, because we already talked about it, that unconditional adoption two weeks ago. We talked about it. So if you want to lay into it more, go back and check that out, or come holler at me. I'll, I'll be happy to talk to you. I'm just not going to camp on it because there's more here. Verse 13, in him... You also, so in Christ, in verse 11, in Christ, verse 13, you also, when you heard the word of God, the gospel of your, I love that, your salvation. Didn't just say the gospel of salvation. It's yours. It belongs to you. It's personal. It's a relationship between you and God. Your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Some quick observations here. The Holy Spirit's a person. 
a person because he has a responsibility. He's not an expression of God's feelings or attitude. He's, he's not a, a, a mystical ghost thing. He, he's a person. He is the person we call God. He is the person that we call God. That's the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you've been tracking with us, you've seen all three persons in this. It's wild. It's almost like God wrote this himself. <laughs> you know, all three are in here. The father is the one who adopts back. That was two weeks ago. That's the first section of this starting around verse eight or verse three. It's the father who adopts. And last week we talked about it's the son who through his blood redeems and the son who forgives. And it's the spirit. Now we're going to see who seals. To guarantee that you have a place in the kingdom. It's one God expressed in three acting in unique roles together. Cannot wrap your brain around that because I can't wrap my own around it. But I fully believe and trust it. Just as sure as there are universes and universes and universes that were created by him. I trust that he is more than I can explain. All here though is the work of God. Our role in this is minimal and simple. It's accept that what he is promising, the word here, is truth. Accept that it's the truth and then trust him. But what happens when you still struggle? What happens when sin? Well, I did that, but I'm still sinning. I still mess up. I still did this again. I still did this again. I still said that again. I still thought this again. I thought I had been sealed with the Holy Spirit. I thought that I had put my faith in him. Uh, When you struggle with sin, remember, he did everything. And it is his, the Holy Spirit's, responsibility to guarantee your salvation, not you. Am I saying the Holy Spirit is to blame when you sin? That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying salvation is his job, not yours. So your sin or not sin after salvation is his responsibility to cover, not yours. It's your responsibility to go to God and repent because you hate the relationship situation you're in right now because of the mistakes you're making. But salvation is up to him. It's his job, not yours. So so it says, when you heard and believed, you were sealed. Anything beyond that is part of the struggle to grow into the image of Christ. It's hard. It's rough. That's why the Holy Spirit says he conforms. We read it a minute ago, conforms you to the image of Christ. It is crushing you into a shape. It is not comfortable all the time. Paul and other disciples and, and Jesus, too, talked about talk about it in sense of pruning and, and stuff like that is not a pleasant experience for a time to be this trimmed or this cut or this whatever. But it, it promotes growth. But it says that when you heard the word of truth, you believed not in the word. You believed in what What does it say in the verse? Him. Believed in him. Now, this is a huge one in separating true Christians from from Christians. Sure, I believe in the Bible. I'm a Christian. I believe in the Bible. 
Uh, many of you, probably most of you, seen the Polar Express. Or maybe not, I don't know, but I would assume. It's on at Christmas nonstop, around the clock, constantly. And in the Polar Express, the pinnacle moment in the movie, and I hope I don't give you a spoiler, <laughs> but a pinnacle moment in the movie, kind of at the end, this little boy who has been doubting Santa Claus the whole time uh, gets a bell, jingle bell, off of the sleigh, and he holds it up, and he's shaking it, and he closes his eyes, and he says, I believe. I believe, because he can't hear the bell ringing, because he doesn't believe in Santa anymore. But he keeps shaking it, and he keeps shaking He says, I believe, like he's forcing some kind of power out of himself. And then he hears the bell ringing, and it's a sweet moment, you know. Everybody gets, everybody gets teary-eyed up or whatever. Oh, it's so sweet. That's cool. That's not what believe means. That's not what believe means at all. Believe means to trust. Believe means for me to take my faith and put it in somebody, or it could be something, but it means to put your trust in something. That means it involves understanding who that person is, understanding what that person is saying, and coming to believe that even if I am not able to understand every piece of it, and even if it sounds crazy, I am certain of it. Certain of it, and so certain am I that I'm going to put my entire life in the hands of that person. That's what believe means. So when it says you heard the word of truth and believed in him, it means you came to the conclusion that what he's saying is not only true, he's true. He's who he says he is. I believe in him. I trust him so much so that there's nothing in my life he cannot have. In fact, I'm not even going to wait for him to take it. Here it is. Do what you want with it. That's what it means to believe in him. That's believing. And if that has occurred in your life, yes, you may stumble. Yes, you may fall. Yes, you may mess up again and again. But I'll tell you something that will never happen is you will never be abandoned. Even if you believe you should be, even if you think I should be, if it were me, I for sure would abandon me because I can't believe I did that. Even if if that were the case, if you have made Christ your Lord and put your trust in him, then it's not up to you in that sense. So let's talk about the Holy Spirit for a few minutes. There are people among other denominations, and I won't get into it too deeply, but they teach some pretty wild stuff about the Holy Spirit. Uh, you can go visit other churches, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to judge whether they're Christians or not. Most of them, I would argue, probably are. They just have some different understanding, I'd say, about the Holy Spirit. But I can determine, and I'm not going to address it all, I'm sticking to the passage, but I can determine a few things about the Holy Spirit from this, uh, that would contradict some of those teachings. Uh, It says you were sealed. There's no, I don't care what anybody tells you, there's no salvation now and then the Holy Spirit comes later. And a lot teach that is not true. There's no filling or slaying of the Holy Spirit or spirit baptism that happens some future moment after you are saved. Uh, I don't mind saying it because it's in Scripture. It says it. First of all, filling of the Holy Spirit is not something that happens one time. It's not something that happens two times. 
it'll happen the whole entire step of your life. It happens over and over and over. I can, how do I know? I can tell you because in the same letter, in Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 18, Paul says, Don't get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. But what? Be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Be there means be, be being. Be being filled. It's a lifestyle, not an event. That's why he compares it to debauchery. Debauchery is not an event. Debauchery is a lifestyle. So he's comparing that and he's saying just as somebody would live a drunken criminal lifestyle, don't do that. Just as they would practice getting drunk on a regular basis in order to live a crazy life, don't do that. Practice being under the full control of the Holy Spirit and allow him to develop your lifestyle. That's what that means. It doesn't mean some event where some pastor empowers you with some kind of massive overdose of the Holy Spirit. I'm not throwing stones. I'm just reading. It, it, look at the timing, too, back in, the, in that verse. Look at the timing. When you heard and believed, you were sealed, complete. That's what sealed means. It didn't say, oh, he started to paint over it. Sealed. E-D, period, done, complete. It's finished. It's done. And you now have an inheritance that is guaranteed. I just, I mean, you could read it right there. Unlike the idea of being filled, being sealed, man, I feel like my country accent comes out huge. When I say filled, I can keep hearing it, filled. Uh, filled or sealed. Um, sealed is something that happens when you're saved. He's saying right here, and it's complete. At, listen to me and hear me clear. At that moment, at the moment of your salvation, you have every bit of the Holy Spirit you're ever going to have. It's your own fault if you don't consult him. It's your own fault if you feel like he's far away because of the choices that you're making in your life. It's your own fault if you don't feel filled. But you got all of him you're going to get at that moment because you're sealed with him. And and above all else, the reason I feel like these ideas are are poor these teachings anyway are poor above all else is because they don't recognize the primary role of the holy spirit in salvation now his role as to on you molly and you know you dave as a believer his role is to conform you to the image of christ but his primary role in your salvation is to guarantee it so to say that you've been saved but you don't have the holy spirit means that you're not sealed. It also means that you are without any guarantee, which would mean you have no inheritance, which would mean you're not a child, which would mean you're not saved. You can't be saved. The gospel of your salvation, receiving Christ in your life and not be sealed with the Holy Spirit. I'll give you some more verses. I'm going to pack you full of a few today, and we're going to finish up quick. I promise I'm not going terribly long today, but I'm going to give you a handful of verses. You can just write them down, note them. Second Corinthians 1, 21. And Paul, writing to a different church, it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a what? 
guarantee saying the same thing. It's already done. Has past tense given. It's our, you already have the Holy Spirit in your heart. It's, he's already been given as a guarantee. It's a seal, he says. Romans 5, 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through whom? The Holy Spirit, who has been, past tense, given to us. Another one, Ephesians, back in the same book that we're studying. Ephesians. We'll come to this again. Verse 4, chapter 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were what? Sealed for the day of redemption. Also, by the way, this makes clear that he is a person. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom? Whom? It's a person. It also tells me, by the way, that you can grieve the Holy Spirit, which means that you can still sin, even though you're sealed. You're sealed, but you can grieve him. We won't unpack all that today, but just note that it's possible to wrestle with sin and still be a sealed Christian. To lose salvation would mean that you were able to not only grieve the Holy Spirit, I'm going to put him in a headlock. I'm going to get him in an arm bar. I'm going to tap him out. I'm going to make him surrender, and I'm going to make him leave. And I'm going to make him a liar before God. You are a failure, Holy Spirit, because you didn't guarantee my salvation. I smoked you, buddy. Poor old you. Go back up there to God and tell him you failed. I promise you that day will never occur. Never, ever going to occur. Why? Because you're sealed. What does sealed mean? Well, it could mean a few things. A mark, a stamp is the first thing that comes to my mind. They would take an object and they would put a stamp on it, a wax stamp, and push a, a, a signet ring into it. And that mark on there meant this belongs to this person and that seal may not be broken except by the person who stamped it. That property belongs to me. Or an envelope, if it were mail of some kind. Same idea. It was sealed in the same way, which means the only people that can open it is either the one who sent it or the one whose name is upon it that it was sent to. We are like the envelope, like the mail. The Father has sealed us for the Son. Only the Father can open it. Only the Son can open it. And the seal is the Holy Spirit. We are, another meaning of sealed is like a brand on cattle. That would be like a seal, a mark on the cattle that identifies that that cattle belongs to that person. Uh, Back in days of old, I've been reading about this lately, I've been studying some Arizona history, and they would take cattle drives and people, families and groups would come together and drive all their cattle together because it was safer that way. But each particular family group had a brand on their cattle. So all this cattle would get intermixed. But when they got to wherever it was they were driving these cattle, they sort out all of that cattle by the brand. This is mine. There's my brand. That's exactly what Christ is going to do one day. When he comes back and he identifies his people from all people by his brand, what is his brand? It is not a cross on your forehead. It is the Holy Spirit. That's it. 
It's real quick. It's real easy. And finally, a third one, a seal is a condition. Like airtight. Like inescapable, closed over. The grave when Jesus died was sealed shut. The same idea. It's a, it's a, it's like an astronaut in space. You ever see those movies when they're in space and they're, it almost feels claustrophobic. Like they're trying to make sure there's no pinholes in that suit anywhere because even a pinhole will, will cost them their life. That's the idea. Our salvation has no holes. He's airtight. It can't be taken. It can't leak out. You can't poke holes in it. It's sealed. Paul called him the promised Holy Spirit. Did you see that? Let me give you a handful of verses here because I want to show you something and we're finished. I'm going to paint this out for you. The promised Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 36, 26, Old Testament. This is the promise he's referring to. Jesus talked about this same promise. This is the promise made to Ezekiel, you know, 500 so years before Christ was born. 500 or so years before Christ was born. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. God speaking through Ezekiel. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh, a soft heart. And I will put my spirit within, within you, in you. And I'll cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Why didn't he do that in the Old Testament? You can go back and look. The Spirit was active in the Old Testament, and he influenced people, but he was not within them. So this promise is a promise of something to come because something has to happen first. What? The cross. That's what the cross is about. Jesus paid for the sin of those who would trust in him. And when he did that and conquered the grave, then this promise can now be true. God can put his spirit within you. And that's exactly what ended up happening. I'll give you the run-up to it. Just just follow with me. It'll be on the board. You can write it down. But just follow with me. I'm going to read you a handful of verses, and you're going to see how the Father, Son, and Spirit work together to accomplish the same will of of that verse, that promise. John 6, verse 40, and, and there's a lot, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give you a handful. John 6, verse 40, Jesus says, This is the will of my Father, that everybody who looks on the Son, on me, and believes in him, me, Jesus saying, should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. I love that, by the way. I will. I'm not I might, not if they make it. Everyone... Who looks on the Son and believes in him, and I told you what believe means, I will raise him up on the last day. Now, if that doesn't happen, then you can make Jesus a liar too. John 6, verse 44, same, same, same passage. I'm skipping down a few verses. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So, literally saying that Jesus is telling you if you're coming to me, it's because the Father's convicted your heart to believe who I am. And he says, and I will raise him up on the last day. He is a gift to me. That's the picture. Remember, if you're a Christian, you're a gift from the Father to the Son. Man, that's awesome to me. If that offends you, then you may not be a believer in this room. It should warm your heart to know that the Father loves the Son enough to give you to him. And that you matter that much to God and to his son, who are the same in some wild way. He says, verse 45, 
It's written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. It will happen. And then he goes on, John 6, verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes, what does it say? Has. It's not will. didn't say whoever believes will have, has eternal life. He goes on, 63. It is the Spirit. Now look, he brings the Spirit in. It's the Spirit. Who, again, not a he, not an it, a he, it doesn't say the spirit that, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. You see what he's saying? John fourteen twenty six. jumping a few chapters forward. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Do you see them? They're linked together in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. John 15, verse 26, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. Now he's saying, I'm sending him. The spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Notice what the Holy Spirit is doing, by the way, testifying about Christ. That's what he's doing. <coughs> Two more. <clears throat> Acts 1.8, you will receive power. Jesus says right before he leaves, he tells his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Acts 2, 4. Moments later, sometime after that, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues in preparation to carry the gospel to all of these places that he said that he would take it. Do you see the picture? If I were to read again the verse in verse 13 there of Ephesians 1, what we've been looking at, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Jesus, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's the picture. One other quick note on that. If you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, you cannot be demon-possessed. I've heard people say, can Christians be possessed? Absolutely not. Not if you are a true Christian, because you're sealed. That house is occupied. Can you be oppressed by demons? People say, yeah, but you can be oppressed. Not only can you be, you should expect to be. That, that's the one that gets me. Nobody thinks about that. You should, the more you look like Christ, the more you should expect to be oppressed uh, by demons. Lastly, let's finish this last verse. I know we're out of time. We'll give you the last verse and we're done. All right, verse 14, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it what is our inheritance that's like asking a princess what is your inheritance it's a little bit more complicated than just one word it's a kingdom now we won't be kings and queens we'll be christ will always be king but we're going to have some broad and amazing things like complete freedom from sin like an eternal home you can go read John 14 and see it. Like Jesus. Jesus. Where I'm going, you'll be with me also, he said. He's the best part of the inheritance. Those are the promises. And that's why all of this, if you looked at those verses, maybe you caught it. They, it started with inheritance to the praise of his glory, and it ended in inheritance to the praise of his glory. That's why he gets praised. This is all his. He's done it all. He did everything. He did everything. Everything. 
And all we can do is praise. Man, you're so amazing, God. Thank you. Thank you. And that's what Paul's been trying to get for 14 verses. Praise you, God. You're awesome. Let me ask you all to come back up, and and I'm just going to pray. I'm going to go ahead and pray. Y'all want to stand with me? And we're going to do another song, and then we're going to call it done. And uh, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, that's where this all starts. Can you trust him? It might be time for that to happen. I don't know where you are in your walk or where you are in your searching, uh, but maybe it's time to stop trying to figure it out and just say, you know what? I trust you. Teach me. Teach me. Let me pray. Lord, your word is awesome. Thank you again for the privilege of opening it, reading it, learning from it. All of us. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about all of us. We're sitting at your feet. I'm just a man, uh, a privilege to pastor a church. But, Lord, it's your word. It's your church. It's your authority. And I learned just like anybody else, I'm a student ultimately. Thank you for the privilege that we all have to take your word and share it with others. And I pray you convict our hearts to do that. Strengthen our hearts to praise you because you are sovereignly in control This world is not just spinning. You have absolute sovereign control, and especially of our lives as believers. Let us live in faith in such a way that we trust that to be true. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.